0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. You know, normally I try to make the messages uh, stand on their own each month so that someone who's listening maybe for the first time doesn't have to catch up or connect it to another message. But sometimes it's just necessary for uh, messages to carry on from the previous one. This is one of those It does stand on its own, but for you to fully understand it, there's material from last month that I hope that you'll keep in mind so that I don't have to repeat myself too much and bore those of you who are keeping up. But you remember last month we talked about 9-11. We re-examined some of the aspects of 9-11, and now that we're 10 years away from that event, I think it's more than important that we take a retrospective look at the last 10 years and try to discern what the Holy Spirit has to say about that event and how it has unfolded as a sign to us and how we as a nation have responded or not responded to the word of the Lord coming to us through these events. I spoke to you about the fact that uh, I believe it takes both Jewish wisdom and Christian understanding together for the revelation of God to be fully comprehended. Paul talked about in Ephesians the fact that it would be the one new man, not Jew nor Gentile, but the Jew and Gentile together in Messiah that would bring hope to the world and uh, bring in the close of the age. And so more and more we are having to uh, recognize that the absence of Jewish wisdom has left us with a lot of Gentile misconceptions, and right along with that, the absence of uh, understanding Jewish roots and understanding certain aspects of Hebrew have left us with uh, misinterpretations, or in some cases, like the one we're about to examine, we missed the point altogether. And so God in his mercy raises up prophets and teachers who can bridge that gap. Jonathan Kahn is a rabbi in New Jersey who the Holy Spirit sent to 9 in order to speak to him concerning those events. Then over the unfolding years of the past decade. Rabbi Khan has continued to uh, study and uh, understand principles that w- were embedded in that event and has now begun to communicate that to the rest of the church. I'm not trying to uh, reinvent the wheel here. You can read online some of uh, Rabbi Khan's comments. You can see video of his teaching related to this on uh, YouTube. And I would recommend for those of you who are interested in going farther with this to contact Rabbi Khan and order his own lectures on the subject, about seven hours that you can uh, contact and receive from him. And that address is Hope of the World, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644, and you can contact him at www.hopeoftheworld.org. But for those of you who don't have the time or the wherewithal or the interest to get that much information on this, I need you to understand it, simply because I am a watchman and I'm responsible to communicate to whoever I have influence with the things that I believe the Spirit is saying to the church. And I believe that what God showed Jonathan Kahn is the word of the Lord to us, and we would do well to take heed to it, and we're fools if we don't. Now, uh, the the foundational scripture that the Holy Spirit took Rabbi Kantu is Isaiah chapter 9 verse 10. We mentioned it in the previous hour together. I want to read it again. The context of it is is understand it's important to understand. Israel has been attacked in 732 BC by the Assyrians. The attack was strong, destructive, but not Decisive. It would be 10 years later, after Israel continues its rebellion and arrogance and idolatry, that the Assyrians would come back and finish what they had only begun in 722, so that historians list 732 as the final destruction of uh, Samaria and Israel. Now, in Amos chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, It says, the alarm has sounded. Who does not fear? The Lord is sending evil in the city. Then it says, God won't do anything unless he first reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. When it says God is sending evil in the city, God is not the author of evil, for heaven's sakes. I don't, we, we shouldn't have to cover that again. But the, the word here is re- referring to God's sending the manifestation of his judgment by causing grace and mercy that would have protected the nation from its own errors. That mercy is lifted and the, 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 the fruit of men's own evil becomes its own punishment. And God sees to it that that occurs. That's what it means. It doesn't mean God is the author of evil. God is good. God is just. God is holy. God is pure. God is love. Uh, God is not schizophrenic. But by virtue of the fact that God is holy, then he sees to it that unholiness gets its just deserts. And how does he do it? By allowing the natural tendencies of men to, who are in rebellion against goodness and truth and purity and holiness and and God, to reap what they've sown. So that's all it's referring to here, that God sees to it, that the sowing and reaping process comes to fruition. And so Amos is saying here, The alarm has sounded, who will not fear? God is sending disaster into your land, the Living Bible translates it. Uh, But always, first of all, God will warn them through his prophets. Well, I believe that we have that warning sounding in our ears now. And the grave danger that everyone has to battle against is the idea that whatever happened yesterday will happen tomorrow. And that because something has always been, in your experience, that that's the way it's always going to be. The idea that there could be something invading us uh, that is beyond anything we've ever experienced before causes an apathy and a stupidity and a false security that we do well to be awakened out of. So if we hear the alarm sounding and it causes us temporary fear, that fear is not a bad thing if it is awakening us from a foolish, stupid apathy. God is not the author of fear perfect love casts out fear. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? God is not calling us to be afraid, but I'm telling you, awakening, uh, if it takes fear to awaken us, that's a good thing. If in the process, of course, we go beyond fear into obedient faith. Now, the context is this. In the last days of Israel's Existence in the 8th century BC. Apathy became antipathy, and antipathy produced adversity. Apathy is indifference, antipathy is open rebellion. Israel went from an indifference toward God to a resistance to God. The parallels between Israel and America. I've already cited in the hour previous to this one, so I don't want to go over that again. But it's obvious to any spiritually awake person that we as a nation are about to suffer, and we are suffering uh, the same judgments that are listed in Leviticus chapters 18 and 26 and Deuteronomy 28 wherever there is a covenant-breaking people who have known the truth and walked away from it, it's always more dangerous for a people who have known and rebelled than for a people who never knew. And the more we know, the more judgment we're under because to whom much is given, uh, much is required. So the first attack upon Israel by the Assyrians uh, was the preceding warning that ten years later eventuated the final destruction. I want to examine, based on Rabbi Kahn's revelation, the various warnings that were embedded in the 9-11 event and that have unfolded since. I'm just going to go through them in the time that we have together, and uh, hopefully as, as we get through these, we will begin to discern where we are as a nation and what hope there is beyond these warnings. Because warnings are given because there's hope to escape the things that are being warned about. Else they're not warnings, they're just dooms. Well, these are not dooms, they are warnings. They become dooms when the warnings become uh, ignored. The first warning, what what Rabbi Khan calls harbinger. a harbinger is a warning, an omen. Uh, uh, certain symptoms are harbingers of an impending disease. Certain, certain characteristics in the body are harbingers of problems yet maybe un, undiagnosed. These are what Rabbi Khan calls harbingers. The first one, the breach, into the nation's secure territory. The strike that uh, occurred on 9-11 was the first strike ever to reach the uh, shores of the United States. Now, Hawaii, in uh, December 7, 1941, was to some degree that, but Hawaii was not a state yet. So, even with all due respect to the events of uh, the, uh, December 7th, September 11th was the very first time an enemy breached the walls of the United States of America. That in itself should have been uh, significant enough to awaken us to fall on our knees as a nation and say, what have we done? What must we do to put ourselves back under the protection of God? But that didn't happen. So the breach itself, uh, the striking of the land, the hedge of protection is removed. We responded as if it was just a matter of security, a lapse of uh, proper military uh, or governmental vigilance. What we should have done is ask the question, what have we done to offend God? But of course we didn't. The second harbinger is Leviticus 26 verse 16. I will appoint over you terror. So the term terrorism which had been bandied about for 30 years became the watchword. The war on terror. Uh, the whole idea of being under terror watches uh, for the first time, we as a nation became terror-minded inside the confines of our own uh, country. Now, remember that it was Israel's response to its first attack that caused them to speak the words that are recorded in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10. Where they said, the bricks have fallen, but we will replace them with hewn stone. The sycamores have been cut down and uprooted, but we will replant them with cedars of Lebanon. Any commentary will explain that this statement is not a statement of faithful uh, rebuilding and hope and uh proper response to God, it's, it's a statement of arrogance. It's always referred to in the commentaries as a statement of defiance. Not defiance of the enemies uh, from Assyria, but defiance of God himself. For the prophets had warned them, and the warnings were disregarded. And even when the prophecy came to pass, their attitude was one of, We don't care what you say, we don't care what God says, we will come back stronger than ever. And so uh, the idea of uh, defiance is inherent in Isaiah 9, verse 10. It is a prophecy spoken out of their own mouth of defiance that would be manifested unto their final destruction a decade later. Now keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this with reference to the United States. The third harbinger is the bricks have fallen. Well, of course, obviously, bricks have fallen on 9-11. The fourth harbinger, we will rebuild stronger and bigger and more defiant than ever. On the day the Freedom Tower was uh, announced to be the replacement for the collapsed towers, the mayor of New York, the senator from New York, the governor of New York, and eventually the president of the United States would all make reference to the spirit of hope at the Freedom Tower as being the spirit of defiance. They use that word over and over and over. Warning number five, hewn stone will replace the fallen bricks. The idea in the mouth of the Israelis was, uh, our bricks have fallen they were, they were weak and brittle, but we will replace them with hewn stone. The Hebrew word is gazit stone, a stone that has been carved out of the earth and uh, is much stronger, much more uh, uh, resistant to attack. Quarried stone. Now, the reason it's taken 10 years for us to understand all of the significance of these events is because uh, they've been unfolding for the decade. And so it was not until July 4th, 2004, that a 20-ton gazette stone was carved out and moved by a crane onto the, the site of Ground Zero as a symbol of national defiance. The bricks have fallen. We will replace them with hewn stone. And on that day, Governor Pataki made the statement on behalf of the city of New York and the entire nation when he said, quote, Today, we, the heirs of that revolutionary spirit of defiance, lay this cornerstone. Remarkable. Now, if that in itself was not enough, and it should be enough to awaken anybody to uh, the significance of, of these events being related Number six, not only have the uh, bricks fallen and we shall replace them with hewn stone, but the sycamore trees have been uprooted, cut down. We will replace them with cedars. Did you know that the only tree in the area uh, that was of any significance, was a tree that doesn't naturally grow in that part of the world. It's not native to that part of the world. Not many trees grow, obviously, in that area. And so the one tree that was sliced down by debris springing from the collapse of the second tower was that of a sycamore tree, a huge sycamore tree that stood at the corner was cut down at 9-11. The, the Assyrians uprooted Israel's sycamores. And the destruction of the sycamore for in Israeli parlance has to do with the symbol of the destruction of the nation, the fig tree, uh, the sycamore tree. The, 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 I won't get into the etymology of it, but they are, they're the same thing. But... Uh, how could that possibly find a correlation in the United States? Well, the North tower object strikes a sycamore tree, an English version of the Western, a Western version of the, uh, middle Eastern sycamore. The root of the sycamore, uh, that particular sycamore was, was bronzed and turned into a memorial that sits at ground zero with a commemorative stone sitting in front of it. So, the the symbol of 911 is broken bricks and uprooted sycamore number 7 that should be enough but but listen number 7 the israelis said we will replace our sycamores with strong cedars stronger than sycamores what did america do How did we replace the sycamore? It wasn't enough that it was commemorated by the root system of the sycamore being uh, bronzed and placed there as a memorial in a symbol of defiance. But not only that, the sycamore was replaced by, just take a guess, a Lebanese cedar. They rebuilt and replaced the sycamore tree with a conifer tree, a cedar, much stronger, much higher. On November 2003, a crane lifted the tree into place and replacing the fallen sycamore again in the spirit of defiance. This tree is called the Tree of Hope. Now, there may be some positive aspects to that tree for some people. Uh, it's significant in some ways that it is a, a, an evergreen tree. Some people have tried to make a correlation to that in uh, Christmas. Because it, it is significant that in Isaiah 9, you also have just a few verses before this this warning prophecy. You have the wonderful messianic christmas verse unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father and of the increase of his kingdom and government there shall be no end but the only reason that verse is significant uh for us is because it it portends the coming of the true messiah who will uh Break the power of the nations and bring them under his rulership uh, as the prince of peace. No, this conifer tree, this cedar, this evergreen is not a uh, some kind of celebration of everlasting life uh, because of the great American spirit of rejuvenation. It's a symbol of arrogance and defiance. Number eight this curse will be proclaimed by the leaders on the site of the judgment out of over 30,000 verses in the in the bible guess which verse leaders have quoted repeatedly when making reference to ground zero and plans to rebuild uh yeah, you guessed it, Isaiah 9, verse 10. You know, you think people that have gone to law school or people that have gone to college, people that can read and write and put their pants on without any help, people that can brush their teeth and comb their hair without aid, would be able to read a verse in the Bible in its context and figure out that, well, maybe that's not a very appropriate verse to read at this time in this place. But uh, somehow, Tom Daschle and uh, John Edwards and various other high-ranking officials from, from mayors to governors to senators to, pop, to presidents to judges have all maybe parroted each other. That would be typical, that they just parroted each other without bothering to find out the context. Or maybe, more to the point, they weren't parroting each other. The Holy Spirit was causing them By sovereign uh, divine edict, to put in their mouth the very words, even though they chose to do it by their own arrogant will, God set in motion the the circumstances whereby they would proclaim over the the site of ground zero this judgment that America is placing itself under. So they stand up and quote, uh, like John John Edwards, stands up and says, uh, there is a very appropriate verse in the Bible that will comfort us in the face of this event. Uh, and uh, he quotes Isaiah 9, 6. We, the bricks have fallen, but we will replace them with hewn stone. The sycamores have fall, cut down, we will replace them with cedars. And then he closes his statement by saying, and this we will do. And that brings us to the the ninth harbinger, the prophecy. This vow becomes a prophetically placed national curse over the nation that is recorded in the national archives. Uh, And the first time it was spoken, by the way, was September 12, 2001, 24 hours after the event. Tom Daschle, the majority leader at that time of the Senate, which would make him the spokesman of the people uh, more than any other uh, uh, person. Uh, again, no bother of context. He says, he reads the verse, and then he says, and this is what we will do. We will do exactly the same thing. We will defy the living God. We will ignore the uh, chastisement that should have come uh, to us to awaken us. We will disregard our own sin as a nation and the, the warnings that should go with all this. And we will rebuild with hewn stone that which was broken down. And we will replace the uprooted sycamores with cedars. And so, like Israel before us, we were shaken, but still grace was extended. There was calamity, but there was a a time of possible repentance. But then, uh, in the time of repentance, in the time meant to extend uh, grace so that we could repent, we have become twice more rebellious maybe 10 times more blasphemous we have become more arrogant and more foolish and more evil than we were 10 years ago see where there's partial repentance there usually then follows greater deception just enough repentance to be aware that we know what we're doing and we yet choose not to embrace it fully puts us in position for greater deception. That's why it's more dangerous for a people who knew and forgot than for a people who never knew. Now, that which God designs in striking a nation is only in the hope of bringing us to an awakening so that we will return to Him. Um, This is not accomplished by... uh, Politics, it's only accomplished by repentance. And if lesser judgments don't awaken us, greater judgments will follow. So uh, what kind of judgments? You know, we always think of judgment as some kind of flashing fire out of the sky or some kind of, uh, you know, we get pictures of Jupiter throwing lightning bolts down on the earth. That's not what's happening. No, the judgments are are. The natural results of man's arrogance. Now, I'm not saying there's not eventually a supernatural manifestation of judgment, but that's called the wrath of God. The ultimate uh, wrath of God is another subject. But the judgments of a nation are when God lets a nation reap what it's sown. And so take a look at where we are now. We have economic disintegration economic disintegration. Now this could be a study all on its own, and we may have to go into it in more detail later. But the economic disintegration is directly related to 9-11, so that it's as though 9-11 was not just an event, it's an ongoing event. I mean, it's not just an event on 9-11. It's an event that continues to unfold and... and. Uh, the The ripples and the domino effect uh lead right up to the housing bubble and all that's related to the disintegration of our present economic system uh Of course uh, we've aided that uh with the idiotic decisions that we've made as a nation, but even the idiotic decisions are part of the judgment. Uh, the removal of of grace and the impartation of a a spirit of stupidity uh, that has now taken over. Uh, All these could, could deserve full studies in their own right. Economic disintegration is now resulting in disorder and division. The country is more divided than it's been since the Civil War division, Uh, you would think, uh, any thinking person would assume that when you're attacked by an outside enemy, that that would bring the nation together. But because of the nature of the judgment of God that is being manifested in this situation, the very opposite is happening. We are becoming more divided, and a house divided against itself cannot stand now there's a direct correlation between the, what I refer to as the spirit of stupidity and the house being divided uh, this this word this word stupid, sometimes I get criticized for using the word stupid, but I would like for someone please give me another word to use when I need the word to to describe something that's stupid, because if we don't have a word for stupid, then we become stupider. And uh, the word stupor in Romans chapter eleven, verse eight, um, where I I draw this whole concept from, Uh, our word stupor or stupid comes from a Greek word where we where we get the word narcotics. It has to do with being in a a state of mind in which your normal responses to outward stimuli don't disturb you so uh, there is a there is a stupidity that has taken over the west uh, that results in the division of our our nations Uh, uh, political correctness which is a communist term it means to say what the state commands you to say Uh, so any Christian who's trying to be politically correct is betraying his faith but uh, the idea that uh, multiculturalism is a loving thing to do uh, is, is, is a way of thinking that comes out of this stupor that I'm talking about. Culture comes from cult. Cult is religion. Multiculturalism, therefore, means multi-gods. So when you bring in various pagan gods into a culture, you destroy the culture. It's 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 obvious. It's logical. But logic and obviousness doesn't apply to people in a stupor. People who are under a spirit of stupor are under a divine judgment. Uh, again, this refers to a verse that uh, we've cited before, with reference to 9/11, found in Isaiah chapter 65, where he says, "I will choose for them their delusions." Paul quotes that in Second Thessalonians 2 where he says in the last days uh, there will come a strong delusion. God will send them a strong delusion. And folks, as one of my teachers used to say, if God sends you a delusion, you will be deluded. There'll be no way around it. But uh, another manifestation of this spirit of stupor could be operating against some of my listeners at this very moment where there's a little voice that says, oh, this is too far-fetched. You know, always looking for signs and prophetic uh, revelations. Uh, Things are just not that supernatural. Well, let me just keep saying what I have to say here. I don't believe most nightlighters have that problem but uh sometimes uh, we're all tempted we're all attacked by uh the spirit of the age that and and we also get jaded by the weirdness and craziness that we sometimes see in some spiritual circles where there is weirdness and and uh, outlandish uh, unbelievable interpretations but folks please stay awake and don't be duped into the trick of the enemy that would cause you to reject the baby because you're fed up with the bathwater, and so you throw it all out. Um, that puts you in a very dangerous position. Let me just let me just tell you a couple of more things. When I say that 9/11 uh, was the beginning of a set of domino effects that we are now feeling the the, the terrible effects of in the economy. I've already mentioned the sycamore tree. Uh, but did you know that when Wall Street was established in the early days of New York, uh, the charter that that eventually became the New York Stock Exchange was called the Buttonwood Charter. It was signed under a buttonwood tree. I'd never heard of a buttonwood tree before. Didn't know what one was. I'm sure in some parts of the country it's common parlance, but. Uh, we would call that tree in other parts of the country a sycamore tree. So Wall Street was established under a sycamore tree with the sycamore as the symbol of its, uh, of its development. The tree, the root system, the fruit, the leaves, all of this portraying the evolving of what would become the greatest and most powerful super economic engine in the world. And so when that piece of metal, or whatever it was, flew out of the North Tower and struck the one tree in the vicinity uh, to, to cut it down and to uproot it, it struck a sycamore tree. This happened uh, on the area in the area where uh, 300 years before, the button wood was the symbol of the early development of the economic engine of the United States. Now, for some people, it wouldn't matter if a hand appeared and wrote on the wall in the eyes of a thousand witnesses. You are under the judgment of Almighty God, America, because you have broken your trust with him and rejected his word and uh, blasphemed his name, and now all the good that I intended to give you, I now... Am going to uproot and overturn. It wouldn't matter if a hand appeared and wrote it on the wall. Uh, if you're under a spirit of stupor, uh, you're not going to get it. You're not going to respond. And who comes under the spirit of stupor? Those who have willfully rejected the grace of God and loved a lie instead of the truth. So Paul says in Second Thessalonians, uh, uh, God will send them strong delusion because they loved the lie. And hated the truth. So, it, if it if it shakes you, that's good because it means you're not under this judgment, this uh, this this stupor spirit. But I'll tell you, we all have to fight. Uh, see, some people translate it in the spirit of slumber, and uh, we all have to fight the temptation to just go to sleep, just ignore things, just. Uh, just stay peaceful. Now, this is not true peace, of course. It's peace and safety that uh, precedes what Paul refers to as sudden destruction. It's a peace and safety that lulls you to sleep so that you're not vigilant enough to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and cry out to God and make intercession and plead for uh, for mercy and, and for uh, redemption to be worked in this because I'm telling you folks that obviously it's not hopeless. Look, if I thought it was hopeless, I wouldn't waste my time talking about all this and I would just sit back and wait for the Titanic to sink. But it's always hopeful wherever there are God's people. Sodom even had hope. Uh, There would have been no hope if there had been no Abraham who was willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and plead for the deliverance of even 10 righteous? And I don't know how far God's mercy would have reached if Abraham had been able to say, Well, Lord, if not 10, how about five? He stopped at 10. But uh, we have more than 10 righteous in this country who are awake. And we are crying out to God and, and asking God for direction and for guidance. And uh whereas in some ways I see parts of the church that are more asleep than ever, in other in other ways I see people more wide awake, more vigilant, more prayerful, more than ever before. So, you know, let's don't get like Elijah Clay and get depressed and sit down under a tree and say, Let me die. And uh, have to be reminded uh, that God has seven thousand who have not bowed their knee to Baal, and uh, we don't know if that term seven thousand was a literal number or if it was a symbolic number of a complete number of people that uh, God required to bring forth His purposes in the earth under the battle they were dealing with with Jezebel. But that's another subject. Uh, if you if you take a walk around the periphery of ground zero, and take a tour of the symbols that have been established in that area of of the city. It's a very telling thing. You know, when Israel worshipped the golden calf, they did not become idolaters because a golden calf appeared. The golden calf was the product of their idolatrous heart. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, The the calf didn't make them, they made the calf. The calf didn't produce idolatry in them. The idolatry that was already in them produced a symbol they could worship, an idol they could focus on. And that idol was the golden calf. Well, uh, it's it's more than ironic to me that uh, uh, a brass reproduction of the sycamore tree is in Ground Zero as a commemorative idol or symbol. Now, the, uh, the, the artists that produced it did not overtly have in their mind, let's make an idol of the sycamore so we can worship it in the place of God. But the spirit that the whole milieu operates in is one of materialistic superiority uh, and idolatry and resistance to the Word of God. So it's only natural that what emerges out of their celebration or their commemoration or their wanting to uh, express their grief and their determination to overcome their grief would show up as an idol. uh, It wouldn't be an idol in any other context. It would just be a work of art. But in this context, it's an idol of the Sycamore. Not far from it, back in the 1980s, in the the boom years of uh, of our economy, in our recovery era after the Carter years, a seven thousand pound bull was forged. And so, in your tour around 9/11, you're going to pass the Sycamore Idol. Then you'll come upon the bull god. Now, again, in any other context, it would just be a, an artistic rendition of a bull. But not in this context. The spirit of the age is manifesting what operates in its heart in the form of the ancient bull god, Aphys, the god of Egypt that the children of Israel worshiped uh, as the golden calf. He shows up as Baal in all forms of Baal worship. Uh, he is the god of materialism, the god of, uh, of uh, this age. And so the symbolism that we see around the areas of 9-11 are all pointing to An ever-increasing crescendo of hatred toward God, rebellion toward God, an arrogant, defiant spirit of self-will against God, proclaiming ourselves to be God. Uh, When this was stricken by uh, outside forces, allowed by God as a form of awakening in hopes of bringing uh, uh, repentance to avoid further judgment our our spirituality in reference to that event lasted about a month, maybe. I, mean, I might be giving it two weeks too long. Then, whenever repentance is not real, what always happens is the darkness from which we were to have repented goes darker. And our rebellion becomes more rebellious and our arrogance becomes more arrogant. And that's when the spirit of stupor uh, is sent as a form of judgment. So we become locked in to our stupidity uh, that takes us into judgment. Can anything break us out of the stupor? Well, anybody who calls on the Lord, anybody who stirs up themselves, as Isaiah says, uh, Isaiah says, there is none who calls on the Lord. There is none who stirs up himself to take hold of you. Stir up yourself. Uh, How do you do that? Well, there's one more symbol down there in the midst of uh, Ground Zero. I've already mentioned it. In the midst of all these idolatrous renditions of the spirit of the age, there in the middle of the smoke and the rubble was the symbol of the cross formed by two metal beams standing there if you if you've seen pictures of it you can capture just a little bit of what must have gone through the hearts and souls of those rescue workers when they in the midst of this hopeless agony look up in the the in the the eerie ethereal darkness caused by uh, the the debris in the air very little light getting through and when the sunlight breaks through just enough for them to be able to to, visual, to, to get some visibility, there in the midst of this agony and trouble and, and destruction is the, the cross shining. But of course, what do we have right now going on? Uh, is an atheist group trying to have the cross removed. Uh Everything is becoming what it really is. The light is becoming lighter. The dark is becoming darker. And the gray middle ground of just easy believism and get alongism and let's don't offend anybody, that middle ground is disappearing very quickly. And everything is becoming what it's meant to be. Now, I believe we are heading toward another layer of judgments. Based on what I have shared with you here, uh, there is plenty biblical reason to believe that we are, I mean, do you think America is closer to God since 9-11? Do you think there's evidence of people being more spiritually awake? Even people who are awake are only awake enough to recognize that the country, for the most part, has gone the opposite direction from God so any any comfort that people try to draw from uh our prosperity as being a proof that we're still under, under god's blessing by god's mercy that that false idea is being overthrown uh, the the economic destruction which was set in motion directly you know the the, the worst the worst collapse of the uh economic uh system of the United States took place the following Monday after Uh, 9-11 Wall Street was closed for four days and then the weekend and then when it opened on the following Monday it opened to the worst crash since uh, the depression and of course there's been worse crashes since then so uh, everybody who is operating inside this world is either operating in in a spirit of self-deception and stupor where they believe everything's okay and they're going to recover no matter what, or they are operating in a sense of uh, fear, waiting for the impending uh, destruction to come. We don't have to operate in either one of those mindsets. Psalm 1 says that the man or woman who walks in the counsel of God Uh, Who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful, but delights in the law of God, uh, he or she will be like a river of water planted, like a tree planted by a river of water. We will bring forth our fruit in our season, and everything we put our hand to will prosper. And it doesn't matter whether that uh, is taking place in the midst of prosperity nationally or in the midst of uh, national judgment God will have a people and he will demonstrate his faithfulness to that people you know if you think about the word covenant uh, this, the, the picture of a covenant uh, uh, for various reasons is circular that the, inside the circle of this covenant there is protection provision blessing and uh, the the terrible things that happen when a nation breaks covenant is not because God throws some kind of temper tantrum of revenge that uh, destroys the people. I mean, like like a like a kid stomping on an ant hill. That's the picture, sadly, that many people get because they don't know the scriptures and they haven't sought the face of God. I mean, if you have that attitude of, toward God. You ought to be seeking God with all your heart for God to show you his true self and and to, to heal your broken image of God that's an aside but it's an important aside uh, the circle is a, a circle of protection the word uh, compassion uh, in in Hebrew. Has a picture of of the encircling protection of a mother's arms around a baby. That's that's the whole idea of the circle of uh, of covenant. And when when that when that circle is broken, then all of the evil that the covenant was meant to protect us from pours in. Do you, do you see that? So, therefore. When, a, when the nation has broken covenant and the nation has uh, uh, put itself in harm's way because it has rejected the provenient grace of God, uh, then people, individuals and families and communities who seek the face of God become uh, little circles where there is protection. Now, I don't mean that we won't have uh, dire circumstances to face. I don't mean that we won't face uh, imminent dangers and have to believe God for provision. But we can easily uh, expect the the provision of God. Uh, I say easily, not out of presumption, but because God is faithful. And so what I would appeal to you to do in preparation for what's coming and I've said this before, I'll continue to say it. Proverbs 27 says that the wise man foresees the potential danger coming and makes preparation for it. The foolish man doesn't. I think it would be wise for you to put back some provisions for yourself and for your loved ones and for your neighbors who maybe won't make any provisions. In case of uh, temporary cessation of uh The movement of products caused by either natural disaster or military action or uh, the collapse of civilization. I believe it will be temporary. But uh, you need to be prepared. So some people say to me, well, how long? Prepared for how long? Well, I don't know how long. And because I can't tell them three months or six months, they do nothing. But uh, you need to be awake and aware that we're in a position right now, and the, the President of the United States is encouraging people who have no jobs and have no intention of getting jobs to uh, demonstrate uh, and to disrupt the natural uh, flow of, of uh, commerce, if they can, uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement is just the beginning. It's just the uh, tip of the iceberg of what's going to be coming because if, if you've done your homework, if you've read the Communist Manifesto, if you've read the Humanist Manifesto, if you've read uh, uh, uh Rules for Radicals, then you know these things are in the works. You know, But here again, if you're in the spirit of stupor, Then you just sit and watch it all happen. You know, when when the Assyrians finally came to destroy Israel, Isaiah says they sat on top of their rooftops and drank and ate and partied and used the impending invasion of their enemies as their evening entertainment. So instead of going to a dinner and a show, they just went to the rooftop and watched the coming invasion of those who were going to destroy them. Uh... So this kind of mindset among people uh, is still present today. It's funny to make jokes about it until it's coming through your front door. So make some provision. It doesn't take a lot of effort to put back extra food, extra uh, bottles of water, medicine, Consider what you would need in an emergency if your power was cut off for two or three weeks at a time. Things of that nature. That's just wisdom, no matter what the e- economic or political climate is. Uh, but now in the face of these cataclysms, potential cataclysms, along with the weather and the judgments that are coming across the nation uh, by means of natural disasters it's just it's just a wise thing if the Holy Spirit has directly told you not to make those kind of provisions for whatever reason that's between you and the Lord, but I'm saying, as a watchman on the walls, you need to prepare for the possible interruption of goods and services uh, for a temporary period of time, and you should have enough. To be able to care for and give to people who did not make preparation. And say, so what if somebody comes in and steals it? Well, let them steal it. You know, I mean, if, if I'm not going to shoot anybody who's trying to steal food from me. Uh, I would shoot somebody who was trying to hurt my family. That's a different subject. But... Uh, I'm not going to shoot anybody who's trying to steal food. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to use those opportunities as a chance for me to, to share the gospel with them and and see the kingdom of God increase in their life and in, in the circumstances of negative events. A lot of wonderful things can happen if you're listening to God and trusting Him. Now, that, that's the first thing. That's just the practical thing. But much more important than stockpiling food, or if you want to call it that. Much more important than that. Can you begin to gather with people near you? I know some of you are in good churches, but many, many of you are not in good churches. You're not in churches that have a mind and a heart set to seek the Lord. It's just church, religious business as usual. But if you can find two or three A neighbor, anybody, those of you who live alone, if you could find even one person who you could begin to pray with on a regular basis, praying prayers of confession for the nation, confessing the sins of the church first, then confessing our own own sins, our own personal sins, making sure our own heart's right, and then confessing the sins of the nation. And asking the Holy Spirit to make us instruments of his peace in the midst of disorder. Instruments of his provision in the midst of uh, loss of goods and services. Most of all, instruments of of the gospel uh, for those that we might encounter in the midst of dire circumstances or troublesome circumstances. Uh, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. Most of you already know these things. You don't need me to tell you. But I just restate them because I want to tell you the watchman can easily be guilty of not following through the very thing he's telling others to do. I get tempted by the weight, the sheer weight of all of this, to just collapse under it, give up, stop telling anybody anything, stop trying to keep people awake. Uh, I get so weary with the, the flippancy. Uh, and I understand some flippancy is a means of self-protection. It's a way of denying reality so that you're not frightened. But uh, that's, a fool's, that's a fool's comfort. Uh, it's time to wake up and, and seek the Lord about what you need to do, not in a spirit of fear, but also not in an uh, indifferent attitude of uh, false security either. Because God has promised to take care of his people. Uh, This is not the end of the world. This is the end of a whole lot of worldly kingdom building that needs to be shaken. Remember, God has promised that he'll shake everything that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. And we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So, walk with the Lord in every day of your life with a a more attuned ear to his voice than you maybe have focused on having up until now. Be vigilant, be watchful. I would say throw off everything that is just of no value. I don't want to be legalistic, and I can't tell you what to do with your time and your energy, but I mean sitting in, in front of a television screen and and letting that thing take up too much of your time uh it's always been a foolish waste but now i think it's an it's a dangerous foolish waste Uh, unless it's really valuable or really entertaining or something that is really uh you know like you're watching a ball game with a group of people or your family and it's a pleasurable thing that's fine but but to just sit and take in the spirit of the world through their television shows and their dramas and their so-called comedies, which are usually filthy, uh, I can't imagine a, a believer. Uh, to, the picture I get in my mind is a soldier with his gun lying down on the the floor next to him, enemies crawling through the window, and he's sitting there, you know, playing pinochle or something. So, and then of course. I I wouldn't watch much of the news, Uh, even so-called news that's supposed to be fair and balanced and let you decide. (laughs) Even that can be full of the spirit of the age. Get your news from the Holy Spirit. I mean, listen to God. Uh, You know more about what's really going on now after an hour of listening to this message than you would have known watching hours of so-called up-to-date News Reporting. Well, God bless you all.